Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Go be shiny today, right? We are the ones who are the light of the world. Like, right, Jesus is the light of the world, and then he turns to his disciples, and he says, now you are the light of the world. Go be shiny. I mean, that's my, like, the Carmen translation. But that is essentially what Jesus says. Like, right, we are to bear the light of who he is, the light of the gospel, um, and and all of the things that light accomplishes, right? Like light is illuminating those dark corners of life, right? It's, it, is, it is shining a light on sin, but light is also um, bringing forth newness of life. So as it gets lighter earlier and earlier in the day, I hope that you are not just getting up with the sunrise, but that you are already up with the sunrise of Easter. Easter really does change everything. All right, so the questions that we're not being asked today are really the ones I'm probably most concerned about. So uh, people are asking lots of questions about, you know, their own survival, their life, their livelihood. I'm wondering if there are other questions that as Christians, we, we need to not only be asking ourselves, but we need to be provoking in the conversations of the day. Because the survival of the fittest or the fastest or the richest is ultimately not enough. Like that is not going to be a satisfying answer to the question on the other side of this pandemic. It's not going to just be the question of did we survive. It's going to be the question of uh, how did we treat others and, and how did we concern ourselves with the welfare of others in the midst of all of this. So people all over the world are, are asking existential questions right now about themselves, their loved ones, their communities, their nations, their way of life. But in addition to the questions um, that we're being asked to answer, there's all these things that we're being told to do and not to do. And it seems to me that the things that we're being told to do and not to do is, is provoking most of the consternation. It's not the questions we're being asked. It's the things we're being told to do and not to do. So it's really this sort of head-on collision of of whether or not we want to be submissive in any way to any authority or whether or not we want to be purely autonomous. And for Christians, we know we're not purely autonomous. We know that we're, uh, we are people who live in ultimate submission to God. And in this world and in this life, we live in submission as well to those who are in leadership um, over us, whom we recognize and acknowledge that, you know, God has lifted up for such a time as this. Now, I recognize we chafe against that. We chafe against feeling constricted or constrained or somehow less free. We chafe against that. I get that. And as grief presses in and as losses continue to mount and as control slips away in certain areas of life, um, we're going to be asking not easier questions, but actually harder questions. 
And so uh, as a Christian, I want you to watch as the world does the, the calculus, as the world does the calculus related to who and what we will save. Um, more often than not, the world is uh, missing one thing from that big conversation about who and what will be saved, and that is God. And so everybody's talking about um, the seeming forced choice between saving lives and saving livelihoods. But you can't honestly separate those two things. And so it's as if everyone is simultaneously asking and not asking the question that Jesus posed in Matthew 6. So we're asking it, but we're not actually publicly asking it. Um, and that is this question, as we you know, look at the birds of the air, as we look at the lilies of the field, do we recognize, do we recognize that we are more precious to God than they? So let me encourage you to spend a little time in Matthew chapter 6 today, verses 25 to 34. It is the don't worry uh, passage. It's not the don't worry, be happy passage. It's the don't worry because God's got this passage. It's the don't worry, God is in control passage. It's the don't worry, um, God who cares for the wild things, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, cares even more about you. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? So why are you anxious about all these things? And the passage ends, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble therein. All right, so we're going to turn to uh, the trouble therein of this day. Actually, we're going to turn to a bunch of really uh, kind of fun headlines with Nick Pitts, fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about babies, and we're going to talk about dogs. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Nick, NASCAR, baseball, the NFL, it's all coming back, right? Shake and bake, as the great Ricky Bobby said, it's time to get going. It is time to get going. <laughs> you all right, so NASCAR Ricky fans Bobby are— And Will Ferrell this morning? <laughs> I, you know, people were not expecting— they, I, My listeners are living— with the great expectation of the unexpected, because you never know what you're getting here. I mean, other than you're going to get the good news of the gospel and you're going to get some joyful conversation, but they never know. They wake up and they go, where is Carmen going to go today? Where is she taking us today? Well, today uh, we're going to go to Darlington and Charlotte. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Great news. Uh, Great news out of NASCAR land. Uh, NASCAR will return uh, Sunday the 17th. So this upcoming Sunday, Darlington uh, Raceway in South Carolina which for many NASCAR fans and really, uh, I mean, Carmen, I know we sports isn't necessarily an essential part of life, but here in the U.S., sports does play an important piece indirectly. And it has just it does something to us, too. It gives us something other than 
It provides us a sense of place and pride, and it roots us in a sense of time that are very important and are, and are really key parts of the American experience. Even if you're not sports fans, sports has a way of helping us to be able to escape reality, and, and it really does provide rich fodder, as well as for your listeners, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, gives them a great opportunity to be able to transition over to gospel conversations, especially during this time of a pandemic. All right. So um, Disney World, Disneyland not reopening here, but Disneyland reopening in Shanghai. NASCAR returning, albeit without fans in the stands, but it will be on television. Major League Baseball, at least the owners, have um, have come up with an 82-game season plan. Uh, so far, I don't think we know that the players uh, union has agreed yet, because I know that mm-hmm. there's, there are some things in this, like a universal designated hitter. Mm-hmm. Apparently, some people don't like that. I love that idea. I think that's a super fun <laughs> idea. One, one more guy gets to work. Um, but uh, the Players Association may not like that everybody's not going to get their full pay this year. Well, um, hello. Welcome to the world. I don't know anybody that's getting yeah. full pay right now. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you know. So yeah, what, do you, what, do you, enough, what do you have to say yeah. with us about baseball? Yeah. So earlier this week, uh, researchers announced that less than 1% of MLB employees tested positive for COVID-19 antibodies. So what we know is what many Americans are experiencing right now that there is a level of risk that's going to happen when they begin to reemerge from this shelter in place, from this quarantine life. And it's just a question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what is the level of risk we're willing to assume as we go out and begin to enter into this new normal? Now, like I mentioned earlier, sports is an imp- important part of the American uh, life, but it will, it also will have to readjust to what is this new normal that we're living in. Without a vaccine, it's going to cause us to have to exercise extra caution when we reemerge into society at large. And I, I, I think a lot of the I think a lot of the ideas and propositions that have been put out there, obviously during this first stretch, are without fans. And again, I think that's a it's another key piece because. Just And I know this is a grim statistic, and it's kind of a grim reality is, yes, on average, there's 2,000 Americans that are tragically losing their lives to COVID-19 right now. But there's also a significant number of Americans that are losing their lives relative to, to suicide and depression right now, and it's really weighing heavily upon them. And so we need to put into balance some of these unintended consequences that are happening. And I think when we begin to reemerge, there's certain truisms, there's certain facets of American life that have an ability to soothe our soul in a way that would be beneficial for us as we try to make our way back into this new normal. You know, one of the things, Nick, that occurs to me as we talk about this, um, an, uh, an overwhelming percentage, you know, frankly, of the of the COVID-19 related deaths are happening in nursing homes and assisted yeah. care facilities across the country. Um, mm-hmm. And so death, death comes like there's yeah. a part of me. I mean, I, I don't want to sound in any way callous or hard hearted at all. I, I mean, I'm, I'm as pro-life as they come, but I'm pro-life from conception to natural death. And mm-hmm. at some point, natural death comes and natural death comes in a variety of ways and um, and from a variety of exposures and circumstances. 
Um, but but death but death comes. And so I think that part of what we're struggling with as a culture is that somehow we got to the place where we thought we were removed from that. We were somehow safeguarded against that. And right now, nobody's safeguarded against death. Like it is it is on um, the mind. It's on the heart. We're being notified of, you know, of every death of every person, even, you know, in their upper 80s who dies of natural causes. I mean, I'm so grateful for the life of um, George Costanza. Right. The guy who played mm-hmm. George Costanza. Yeah. Yeah. But but the reality is, um, you know, they had to, like, report and report and report. You know, he's an old guy and he died of natural causes. Yeah. You know, it's really fascinating for your listeners. So there used to be a day over 100 years ago that cemeteries would have been in the middle of cities and towns because they wanted to keep the the, the fragility of life at front and center. They wanted everyone to know. But as city zoning laws began to change, one of the things that changed with it is moving some of those funerals, moving some of those cemeteries away from the center of town because they wanted to continue to push further and further out the real realization of the brevity of life. And so now this COVID-19 pandemic has really caused us to begin to rethink the fragility of life. What am I doing with my life? And one of the ways that one of the reasons why I'm so excited about sports coming back is it, it provides us another opportunity to say, like Paul said in First Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, how, wh- how are you running your life? How are you competing in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, what are you doing to such an extent that helps you to understand that you aren't just simply a mere mortal, that you have been given the image of the divine and you have a chance to be able to run the race of your life in such a way that you'll win the prize, which is imperishable, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right. From um, one uh, end of life to the other, I want to talk about Gerber's new um, spokes baby. First of all, this is a spokes baby whose picture is absolutely worth a thousand words. So we're going to talk about Magnolia when we come back. Nick Pitts is on with me. We'll be right back. All right, uh, that's a really old uh, recording of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, but apparently Nick Pitts had never heard it, so we're playing it because, you know, that's what we're all about. All right, so, um, Nick, Gerber, Gerber, every single single year um, has a spokes baby, which is kind of a funny thing to call it because it's not a baby that talks. It's a baby whose picture we all, like, you know, go gaga over. All right, so this year's Gerber baby um, her name is Magnolia, and she will be one year old on this coming Saturday. She is just about the cutest little person I've ever seen. Oh, Why is this year's Gerber baby so special? So the adorable Magnolia, she is the first adopted spokes baby in the company's history. And so uh, I love how Gerber is utilizing their platform and their brand to be able to highlight uh, a great need that we have in this country today of giving some of these babies and some of these beautiful little children and giving them a, a new home, forever home. Uh, and here in the U.S., there's approximately 443,000 magnolias, so just short of half a million. On average, children remain in state care for roughly two years. But one of the things that I find so fascinating is uh, for the Christians, for Christians in the church, we are all keenly aware of James one twenty seven, of that ideal of what is pure 
and undefiled religion. It's to visit the orphan and the widow uh, and to uh, uh, keep unstained from this world. Uh, and what a beautiful opportunity for the church to be able to identify the magnolias in their community and to begin to bring them into their homes, just like God has prepared a place and has adopted us as children of the Lord. So there are 443,000 magnolias, but there's self-professed, self-identified Christians. There's 240 million here in the U.S. There's 300,000 churches. So it's almost as if, what if every church adopts one child, one per, a family in a church adopts a child? It's a beautiful opportunity for us to live out the gospel witness in a very stark and real way. So it's interesting um, to me that for the last couple of years, Gerber has made headlines um, by the very intentional choices that they have made in terms of their spokesbabies. So Lucas Warren became the first brand's um, spokesbaby with Down syndrome in 2018. Um, last year, Karari Yang made history as the first Gerber baby of Huang descent. And then um, and then this year we have Little Magnolia, who is... Um, the first Gerber baby, I was, I would, maybe we should say it this way: the first Gerber baby that is known to have been adopted, because mm-hmm. right, who knows? There was probably yeah. a yep. point in time when people didn't talk uh, quite as much about um, the genetic origins of their babies as we talk about them now. But it is, uh, it is exciting. It's a great day to celebrate life um, for those of you who uh, have adopted children into your families. For those of you who saw fit to carry a baby to term and then allow another family to become that child's forever family. Um, if you're a mom who gave birth to a baby like Magnolia, um, who is now being raised in a loving forever home of people who weren't able to have their own kids, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy Mother's Day um, to uh, to each and every one of you. We We recognize that the moms on both sides of this, the families on both sides of this are um, are tremendously uh, blessed and integral to this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so thank you to each and every one. All right, we got to have a, a conversation hey. about the dogs. We've only got a couple of minutes, mm. but, um, okay. uh, you know, I felt like I, I needed to know about the most popular dog breeds in the United States, and I feel like you are in the know on that. You know, for I am all about uh, the dog life here in the U.S. And so uh, to answer the looming question that's on many Americans' minds that is hotly debated just because – uh, for the average dog owner, their favorite dog and their the best dog breed is the one that they have in their household. But according to American Labradors are still number one. Now, uh, Carmen, don't you have dog dogs? I have a canardly. Okay. I have okay. a canardly. So I, you can hardly so tell what her parentage is. <laughs> so what you're telling me is I'm fake news right now because a canardly is going to be number one for you. Um yeah, so uh, the list, which is based on 1.4 million puppies registered to uh, the American Kennel Club last year, it ranked all 193 breeds uh, here in the U.S. And what they came out with is uh, uh, labs are going to take number one, and the rest of the top ten includes German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers, French Bulldogs, Bulldogs, Poodles, and Beagles. And so um, the least popular breed, though, is the English Foxhound. So for those English Foxhound owners that are listening right now, my condolences right now as you (laughs) deal with this hard news. And please don't uh, tweet at me saying I'm fake news. (laughs) 
Well, or or start a social media campaign for the English foxhound because he's just yeah. like a big beagle. He's like a big sad <laughs> beagle if you look at him. Right? Yeah, every, All right. Everybody just needs some love. He's affectionate, gentle, sociable. Yeah, I don't know. Let's start a campaign. <laughs> hey, thank really you so much. Um, it, it, yeah, Nick, thank you so much. Uh, sometimes we need to lighten it up a little bit. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that um, the world still turns in very, very positive ways, that God is still on the throne, the babies are still being born, that people are still competing over things like which dog breed is the best, um, and that, you know, there there are causes for all kinds of competitive joy. So as you run the race that God sets before you today, do so enjoy, my friend. Yeah, I completely agree. Thanks so much for having me, Carmen. Thanks for getting us started uh, on the right track. That's Nick Pitts, fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at J Nick Pitts. We'll be right back. All right, it all starts and it all ends in a garden. Genesis 1, verses 11 and 12. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And so it was. And the earth brought forth vegetation, yielding plants, uh, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it, and it was good. And then in Genesis 2, God not only planted the first garden, God set, God set human beings in the garden to work it and take care of it. And so as God's image bearers, our first vocational calling was to garden, was to garden, Throughout the scriptures, God promises uh, a land flowing with abundance and instructs his people on how to ensure a harvest, not only one that we can eat, but a harvest of righteousness unto him. And so the prophets uh, talk about gardening. Jesus talks about gardening, the vine and the branches, the sower and the seed, uh, the soils, on and on and on, the lilies of the field. And by the way, we're going to spend all of eternity in a garden, John's vision in Revelation 22 tells us that right down the middle of the great street of the new heaven and the new earth on each side of the river is going to stand the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations so um it's all about living in a garden so we thought we'd talk uh a little bit about gardening today victory gardens is something that i have encouraged everybody to be planting Um, Getting a little bit closer to the earth, sticking your hands in the soil. Good, 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 good thing. So square foot gardening um, is a thing. I didn't know that. But Brian Feuder is going to join us from the Square Foot Gardening Foundation because guess what? Just as uh, God claims every square inch, hey, you can garden in every square foot. This is up next on Mornings with Carmen. All right, everybody doing just a little um, can accomplish a lot. So thank you, thank you, thank you from all of us at Faith Radio for your response to our recent Spring Share fundraising event. Because of your generosity, um, we get to keep doing every day what we do, which we love to do. uh, And that is provide relevant Bible preaching and family-focused teaching each and every day. Now, let me say this. We still have a need to meet before the end of our fiscal year, which is June the 30th. And so... Seven people giving out a dollar a day. Uh, seven people a day giving out a dollar a day. I'm going to say that correctly. Seven people a day giving out a dollar a day. So seven uh, seven listeners joining us 
each and every day at that Team 360 dollar a day giving level um, through June 30th would take us all the way to 100% fully funded. And so um, in order to meet our fiscal year goals, we're going to need a few people to step up and still be day sponsors. If you missed out on your opportunity to do that, there is still time. You could sponsor a day of programming for $1,800 or half a day for $900. You could come in at that Team 360 level, which is a dollar a day. Um, obviously, we appreciate gifts of any size. And I just wanted to let you know that uh, we are incredibly grateful for the response that uh, of your generosity last week. And there's still an opportunity for those who have not yet moved from passive listening to active participation in the ministry. There's still room for you to join us in that effort. So you can give securely online at MyFaithRadio.com or you can call or text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. Square Foot Gardening. Square Foot Gardening from the Rev River Valley, Moorhead, Minnesota, up next, right here on Mornings with Carmen. Has your child ever said this to you? I don't need any help. I can do it on my own. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you have a teen living under your roof, chances are you hear those words all the time. And if they aren't saying it with their mouths, they're certainly saying it with their actions. But rather than viewing such communication as a slap in the face from an ungrateful child, I'd encourage you to take it as a compliment. Disrespect should never be allowed. But your goal as a mom or dad is to raise healthy, independent children, right? Well then, why not celebrate when the kids start to spread their wings? Let them strike out on their own. Let them do it all by themselves. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. All right, joining me now, Brian Feuder. He's going to tell me if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He is... Uh, a certified instructor with Square Foot Gardening. Welcome, 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 welcome. You're a faithful listener um, up in the Fargo-Moorhead area on Faith 1025 and AM 1200. So welcome, welcome, Brian. Well, thank you, Carmen. Yes, uh, yes, uh, uh, two congratulatory remarks for you. First, on the pronunciation of my name and on the appropriate pronunciation of Minnesota. I appreciate that. Yeah. Minnesota. I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. You know, I've been around a couple of years now, and uh, it's wearing on me. There you go. Super. <laughs> All right. Square foot gardening. Plant a little, harvest a lot, grow organic produce and flowers. Um, first of all, what's the inspiration? Square foot gardening sounds like uh, every square foot or in a square foot, which means I really only need a square foot, which kind of excites me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and then let's talk about who can do this. Oh, square foot gardening is something anybody can do. Uh, square foot gardening is a method that was developed in the 1980s by a gentleman named Mel Bartholomew. And, and uh, he had a, a program on PBS called Square Foot Gardening. And, and I remember uh, watching that as, uh, as a teenager, high school, uh, back in uh, uh, the part of Minnesota here, we had three channels on TV and one of them was the public television channel. So wasn't much else we could watch in the wintertime, but watch Mel Bartholomew uh, out planting his garden. And I thought, oh my goodness, this guy's got a wonderful job. I, the coolest job in the world, dig a little, plant a little, eat a little, dig a little, plant a little more. 
you know, it's uh, uh, interesting to see how that happens. And so the square foot gardening method, it was a way that Mel developed to, you know, kind of, he was an engineer and he liked to look at processes and how can we make them more efficient? And so he, he, he came up with the idea of why do we, why do we plant gardens like little mini uh, farms, you know, and uh, the answer that he got is because that's the way it's always been done. And so why do we have to have, uh, you know, plants planted six, six inches apart and 36 inches wide in between the rows? Well, that has a lot to do with the equipment and the implements that we use in, in large scale farming. But if you can have uh, the plants don't know if they're six inches uh, apart in one direction or 36 inches apart in the other direction. So he looked at what could we do to maximize the use of each square foot of that ground that we're working up and working so hard to keep the, the weeds out of and, and water and fertilize. And why do we uh, why do we do so much with the part of the garden that we don't grow anything in like paths and the aisles? And uh, he he came up with this way to figure out. This is uh, so. This is when this is when parents are hoping their children aren't listening because our answer to that question is we send them out to the garden to hoe. That's that's a management tool. That's a management no, tool. I, <laughs> I have rows in my garden as a management tool. I'm gonna have to remind myself of that. All right. So let me just uh, let me let me just briefly reset. I'm talking with Brian Feuder. He is with Square Foot Gardening. Um, and people are going to want to be able to find it. So let me just tell you, you can go to squarefootgardening.org, squarefootgardening.org, and get all of um, all of the connections, all of the information. You can find Brian, um, all those good things. All right, so go ahead, Brian. Um, tell us uh, tell us how a person gets started doing uh, doing this, and how much space do I need? Well, to get started, uh, it's it's an interesting uh, thought. Uh, I, I tell people, I said, you know, uh, spring comes and they say, oh, I'd love to garden. And so I'm going to go out and dig up my whole backyard and I'm going to plant uh, 500 foot rows of uh, beets. And I don't even like beets, but I'm going to plant them <laughs> and they're all going to come ripe at the same time. And then I'm going to work my tail off to get them in and weed them and water them and fertilize them. And, and all of a sudden we take a vacation in July and we come back and the grass and the weeds have taken over and we're frustrated. So start small, become successful in a small way first. And really, if you, uh, to be a, a purist in the square foot gardening method, all we need is four foot by four foot, 16 square feet. And that can be put on the ground and we can build the garden above ground. We don't have to worry about amending soil because we use what's known as Mel's mix, which is a mix of uh, one third by volume of peat moss, vermiculite and blended composts. And so everything that the plants need is already in the soil. So, uh, you know, it's really simple to do. And we don't have to spend about seven years trying to amend a poor soil. We make a one-time investment. And we only need about six inches of depth uh, for good plant production. We don't need to have uh, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, big rototillers and things like that to uh, be successful with a small garden. And Mel always said that one four foot or one four foot square garden, 16 square foot would be enough to provide an adult a fresh vegetable every day during the growing season. And so it's, uh, you can look at uh, uh, the number of different varieties of produce that you can plant in your garden. And it's all based on the size of the plant. So we either plant one, four, nine, or 16 plants per each square foot. So like onions, if you want little green onions, you can put 16 of those in a square foot or carrots, 16 in a square foot. 
your beets, I, I usually do nine in a square foot. Uh, cabbages would be one to a square foot. And it's really an interesting method, and, it, and it's easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of time. I tell people, you know, a simple uh, uh, four-foot square box takes about 13 seconds every morning to attend. Uh, and if you don't have that much time to attend to your garden, you probably should just uh, not garden. And uh, it, it's, it's a simple and easy way to do it. And there's so many different things that have done uh, to make gardening easier. And one of the things that I have worked with myself is the development of what I call an elevated square foot garden. And this elevated square foot garden is a box that's built on legs. Uh, it's handicap accessible, wheelchair accessible. It's three foot by three foot so that you can reach all the way around it and tend to the garden plants that you have there. And it's something that looks nice and you can keep up close to the house so it's not tucked off in some un unforgotten, unknown corner of your yard, your yard where it's uh, subjected to all kinds of neglect. All right. I just love it. It's so much fun. Um, I want people to check out the website while... Um, while well, Brian and I have to take a very brief break, squarefootgardening.org. We're going to, when we come back, we're going to talk about um, how you might do this at a community level, the ways that you could engage in this, um, and simply, simply the virtue of getting your hands dirty. We'll be right back. All right, all kinds of great things going on in the world today. What's going on in your own backyard or in your own front yard or on your porch or down at your community garden? Hey, if, you, um, if you're a Christian and your church ground is lying fallow right now, you know, you could go till up a portion of it and start a little community garden um, six feet apart. Give people little, little um, garden plots to get their hands dirty, to get out there and appropriate social distancing, build, build your victory gardens um, using this really cool square foot gardening methodology. You can get all the information you need at squarefootgardening.org. Brian uh, Feuder is here. He, he works uh, with square foot gardening. He is a square foot gardener. He has developed an elevated square foot gardening method. Um, tell us a little bit more about that because I do think, Brian, that so we got woodworkers out there. They could be building the uh, these structures for the people who really just want to get their hands dirty and don't you know don't want to do the hammer and nail part of this right there's some there's some ways for people to get together to help one another in doing this um, and talk about the community just how gardening like gets us out and into not only our yards but into the community talk about the social connectedness of gardening oh yes Carmen uh, it, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to have people get together and talk about things. I think a lot of us, I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, you know, I grew up in the garden uh, with my grandparents, with my parents. And, and there were a lot of things, like you said, maybe it was a man, it was a management tool and we went out and weeded sometimes, but uh, kept the kids out of our, out of grandma's hair. But uh, it, it, it was an opportunity to learn things and you, and you had the contact with what, you know, what we used to call mother earth or, or God's creation and, uh, I, you know, my, I remember somebody saying that every child should eat a peck of dirt before they're, they go to kindergarten. Uh, and and the, the, the microbiology and things that go on in the, in the soil and, and what that does for our immune system and things like that. But not only 
it's, it's a great opportunity to socialize with other people. Uh, when I moved into my neighborhood, I was one of the very first people around that started a front yard garden. I live in town, so I wish I was out on the farm, but I live in town. And I started a front yard garden, and I'm sure my neighbors thought, what in the world is this guy doing? And uh, I, it was based on a square foot gardening method. And, uh, you know, it, every time I was out in the garden working, people would stop and visit with me. And uh, what are you doing? What are you growing? What is this? What, what, what's with these square foots all over the place and these grids and these boxes and all of this patterns and just an opportunity to talk? And so other people would get interested in what I was doing and they would start asking questions. And, and, and it wasn't very long. Uh, people were asking me, hey, can you build one of these for me? And uh, and what about uh, these uh, elevated gardens that I started? And I just did a story on one of my first ones that I built uh, yesterday on a Facebook page uh, about how well it's held together over the years. And uh, uh, the, uh, the the square foot gardening, these elevated gardens, uh, a lot of people say, you know, I love to garden. I, 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 I but I just can't, you know, I just can't get down to, on the ground level to do it anymore. Or should I say it's easier to get down than it is to get up? And so I built these right. gardens that that are elevated so that they're stable enough and sturdy enough to support a person's weight. Uh, they're able to get underneath them with a wheelchair. And so everybody can garden. Uh, I even uh, I, uh, I built just, a garden. I totally uh, love that. Yeah, it, and it's, it's an opportunity just to allow people to do things that you didn't think they could. And one of the neatest stories that I had, Carmen, is I was I delivered a garden to two sisters here in northern Minnesota been blind since birth and uh, one is mm. a retired teacher and a retired minister and uh, they just they said we get on the ground and we kind of get lost but with this elevated garden we can put our braille labels on the on the uh, rails and uh, with the patterns of one four nine and 16 plants we can determine what what's weeds and what's not and nobody's touches their garden except for them and so anybody can garden and you talk about communities coming together, especially at this time, you know, you talked about the social distancing, the six feet apart. And I was reminded of the old hymn in the garden I, where I come to the garden alone. And uh, so there's things that we can do that are going to entertain us. Uh, and, and you get to actually feel the, to see the miracle of growth. You know, you take a small seed and take, take a, take a, a Corn, for example, a small kernel of corn, you plant it in the ground and three months later, you got, you know, a million quadrupled times the amount of mass that you originally planted in the ground. How does all of that happen? You know, there's a lot of botanists and, and people like that are going to tell you what the, how the cell structures and blah, blah, blah. But uh, it, it's, it's really kind of miraculous. <laughs> the sense of it's totally miraculous. <laughs> It is. Yeah, it brings it, me it, such joy. God's the one who gives the growth. Like we're responsible to do the work. God designed us to live in a garden. We gave that up um, in in part um, in in the fall, but we did not give up our our desire to get our hands dirty. Um, this deep um, desire to cultivate the earth in order that it will produce what God intends for it to produce for our good and for human flourishing. There's so much here about sustainability and self-reliance. There's so much here about the good we can do for others and, um, and just the joy of growing something. We're, um, we're picking strawberries right now out of our garden. So I know we are, um, we are obviously a little bit earlier than others, 
um, in terms of the growth cycle. But it is such joy to have so many berries that, you know, now I can take them down the street to my neighbor, Nisi, and um, I know that they will, frankly, come back um, as jam in a cookie at some point. Like, right, she is going to do something with that, uh, with what I am taking her from my garden, and she's going to turn it into something that's going to that's going to come back to me in a in a way that's going to delight my kids. And so, um, there are all kinds of ways to make connections through this. I just love it, Brian. We're going to have to have you back on. Um, and I'm oh. I'm actually like noodling through. I'm like I, Paul Perot. I know you're listening because you're I producing am. this show. Can so can we talk to Carissa? Can I go up there next time I'm in the area? Can we do something up there in in in, in Brian's garden? Can we well, go get our hands dirty? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'll, I will talk. I mean, to I'm Carissa. inviting. I'm inviting ourselves, Brian. I'm inviting <laughs> hey. ourselves up. Can we? I'll put the coffee on, Carmen. All right, that sounds so great. I just love it. All right, I'm so excited about this square foot gardening. It's a methodology, um, and it's a ministry. Um, so go yeah. check it out. They've got these really great, uh, really great mission, all kinds of humanitarian outreach. Go to squarefootgardening.org. Visit with Brian. Brian, thank you so much for joining us um, here today you, on Mornings with Carmen. What a delight. What a delight. We'll be right back. All right, time is too short to read you all of the Bible verses that I pulled out this morning related to gardening. But go ahead and look up Galatians 6-7 about reaping and sowing. Be sure you remember from 1 Corinthians 3-7 that God's the one who gives the growth. Reread John 15 about Jesus being the vine and you and I being the branches. Uh, Matthew 6, consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. And Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.